us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful gathered here out of love for you, and may my words end our hearts together, glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I read the scripture early in this week, I, I kept having this story arise in my mind. In it, I am back at my home church growing up in First United Methodist Church in El Campo, Texas. Sunday school was always before worship, so all the children and youth were always in worship with us. And I hear the pastor reading today's scripture, but it's an older translation, one that we don't hear today. And it said this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the paraclete, the Holy Ghost, whom God will send in my name, will instruct you regarding all things and cause you to remember everything I have told you. Now, you might think in my story that the children would have reacted to Holy Ghost. I mean, you know, uh, it's ghosts are kind of scary things. So you might think that they might have reacted to that. But that's not what I saw in my story. In my story, instead, uh, I see the family gathering around the table for their pot roast lunch, because that's what we always had, you know pot roast with potatoes and carrots, maybe green beans, and iced tea. You know, and I see them all sitting down at the table. And the youngest boy at the table says to his parents, when are we getting the parakeet? <laughs> and, and I just thought about that all week, and I just delighted in it. It just made me laugh. Laugh and laugh and laugh. Uh, it brought me great joy, and I hope it brings you good joy, too. Of course, we don't have that confusion today because most of our biblical translations use other names for the Holy Spirit, as ours did this morning. Advocate, comforter, counselor, friend. As I said in our welcome this morning, this is the sixth Sunday of the seven weeks of the season of Easter. The first three Sundays, we heard the resurrection appearance stories. And these last two, and today, we hear the teachings from Jesus, what is called in the Gospel of John, the farewell discourse, which is actually about three or four chapters long. And we hear portions of it, where Jesus has gathered his closest followers and is directly trying to teach them Give, him, give them last words before he departs, right? And, and so today we hear probably the tenderest, most intimate of these teachings. Jesus is leaving them, and he knows he's leaving them. Now think of the pain in that. You know, just think of the times when you have left, when you left to go to college, or when, I remember when I moved from College Station to Dallas, and how my parents felt, you know? 
think of, you know, like they all are getting to stay together, but he's leaving. He's leaving them. And they don't know where he is going, and he has told them, you cannot come with me. Now, understandably, the disciples are distraught, right? In their eyes, this was to be the Messiah, the one who would redeem Israel, you know, and the whole world, the one they had given up everything to follow. And now he's leaving. And not just leaving, I mean, in this whole final discourse, he tells them that he's going to suffer. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to die. Now, he also often says, and on the third day, but they don't hear that. They don't hear that part. They focus on that he's leaving. And he's going away. And whenever somebody leaves like that, you know, the, the first question is, and who's coming to take care of them? You know, like when parents leave on a date night out and the little bitty kids say, where are you going? And can we come with you? And you say, no, you can't come with us. And they say, well, who's going to take care of us? Right? Who's going to come? And then you say, well, like Sydney's babysitting now. And so you say, well, Sydney's coming. And all the kids are so happy because Sydney will actually play, play with them. You know? Well, the, the disciples are distraught. Um, and that he's going to suffer and be humiliated and disgraced. I mean, wouldn't that be their disgrace as well? Isn't that where they're going with this? This is a bad news, good news story. And we're going to start with the bad news. Jesus is delivering really bad news. Things are bad. The empire rules. The religious authorities are out looking for him. And he's going to die. But far from a lecture on salvation or a lecture on discipleship, in this moment, Jesus offers an urgent pastoral care. He's concerned for them. Can you imagine? He's spending his last earthly night, and his concern is for them. Not what is before him. He's concerned for them, and it is as if he is calmly telling them what will come, what is going to happen, as a parent might comfort a child. Jesus is assuring his companions that his departure is not abandonment, but rather a move that will make way for a deeper connection, a deeper intimacy. Hear him say it to them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. Trust me and the one who sent me. Can you hear him say that? Can you hear him say that to you? Although it is an extraordinary moment, this, this night between Jesus' life and his death, it is also pretty ordinary, isn't it? I mean, it's the way of life. So often, this is what it is to live in the world. It is to find ourselves repeatedly facing unimaginable trauma, sometimes unimaginable loss, 
this world, this, this life, this beautiful creation, the wonderful relationships are a gift of God. But so often the world also gives us trouble and disappointments and sorrows. You know, I don't need to tell you this. You, you live it. You know it. We live in a world full of drought and famine and war. We live in a country founded on racism and white supremacy. This week I received an email from a mentor pastor of mine. He graduated from Yale Divinity School, and the dean of that school, Gregory Sterling, sent out a letter that I think summarizes this spiral that our country is in. He wrote, there are 400,000 congregations, 4,000 synagogues, and 3,000 mosques in the United States. It is time for every minister, rabbi, imam, and other clergy to challenge their congregants to weigh the morality of the individuals for whom they vote. As a Christian, I find it incomprehensible that anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus can advocate racism and ignore the violence that it breeds. Racism by any name is morally wrong. Murder in any civilized society is morally wrong. Where is our moral compass? We should not be reduced to a state of fear. African Americans should not have to worry about going to the grocery store. Jews should not have to hire security guards to be at their services, at their synagogues, and Muslims should not have to worry about their safety in a mosque. Yet this is our world. The heinous nature of the acts this past weekend should move us to become resolved to raise our voices and not to lower them until there are changes. This is how the world gives us. You know, Jesus says, I do not give as the world gives. This is how the world gives, right? The world gives lots of beautiful things. But this is how the world gives. I mean, so is it any wonder that so many of us are dealing with PTSD and the ache of despondency and depression? The world gives us the grief of seeing those we love slip away from old age, from addictions, violence, and death. Somehow, some way, we survive and continue to live and, and breathe even when we think we can't. But here's the deal. We're Easter people. We are followers of Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And though we live in a Good Friday world, we have access to the promises of God. And in this passage, Jesus offers the disciples and us two important farewell gifts. Really, really, really important. Two important farewell gifts. The first is the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the advocate. So remember that an advocate is one who speaks in support or defense of another or a cause. It's usually followed by an of, an advocate of peace, for example. And one who, is, who pleads for another as an intercessor. You know, um, in this gospel, the whole, we hear about this Holy Spirit. And, and this is what Jesus says about it. Those who love me will keep my word, and my Abba, who is God in heaven, will love them. 
listen, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Do you hear that? He doesn't say God will come and make God's home. We. Jesus says we will come. I mean, the triune God is all over this. We will come and make our home with you and be with you. And that promise is for you and you and you and you and you. That is the promise of God. To be, to make a home with us in our hearts and in our lives. And it is God who will send the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name and the work of the Holy Spirit will be to teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. So, friends, the Holy Spirit right here, right now, in this place, is to teach us everything, everything we want to know. The second gift that Jesus offers to the disciples is peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Now, that's a tall order, isn't it? That's a real tall order. Now, let me say a word about that. In our 21st century individualistic American minds, we often think of peace as being about us, my peace. And, and it's okay to want peace for yourself and for those you love. That, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's kind of where we leave it. But the Greek word for peace used here is arene. Actually, it holds a meaning of global tranquility, an exemption from the havoc of war, peace between peoples. It's bigger than just you and me individualistically. Jesus, on his way to the cross, says to his followers, the world can kill you, the world very well may kill you. And in fact, the world did kill Jesus. Jesus' body was hung on a cross because struggling for justice is dangerous. And because love is costly. There's a good reason to be afraid, but Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. What Jesus offers us is a deep peace that however bad things get, however bad the world is, we can be Easter people who live in the truth that love is stronger than hate, that hope is greater than fear, and that life overcomes death. That's the promise. Now back to the parakeet. <laughs> oh, excuse me, the paraclete. So the Greek word there is parakletos, literally meaning to come alongside. Now, get, get a picture of that, will you, for a minute? That God's very spirit comes alongside of us. It's, it's like an attorney with a client. You know, when, when it comes time for the client to hear their sentence, 
it's common in the courtroom for the client to stand. But the attorney stands with them. They're there together. No matter the outcome, the attorney stands too, right? This is, this is the, the coming alongside of. It's a coming alongside of, and that's what the Spirit does. So this, this week, I told you I was on a contemplative cohort retreat. I'm sure I don't strike you as a particularly contemplative person. I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big old extrovert, so I like to talk. It's how I understand the world, by talking. You know, I, I can only figure things out when I hear it outside my head. Uh, but this was, this was incredible. Um, it, it was a contemplative retreat. Uh, co- I'm in a cohort. We meet four times a year, but this is the second time we met, and it's taught by Reverend Joe Stabile uh, as part of the Life in the Trinity Ministries. It was an amazing experience as they, he taught us. He was a, a, in a religious order for, for many years. Went in at 14. Can you imagine? Ooh. But he taught us about contemplative or what many people call centering prayer, right? Over and over again, Joe continued, I mean, just appealed to us to practice centering prayer. I mean, like, every day, multiple times a day, he would talk to us about his belief that centering prayer is the most transformative of the spiritual disciplines because it requires you to empty yourself before God. You know, the other disciplines, we take things on. We read the scriptures. We read holy writings. We, um, we worship and are together, right? Uh, and we... We sing together and we pray together and and so, but this requires a personal emptying. And in that emptying, we begin to discover that we are encountering God and being transformed by that encounter. Contemplation we can have at the side of a lake or, you know, just sitting here and looking out at this beautiful space. Uh, we, we can contemplate those things, but this kind of prayer, this centering prayer is about emptying yourself of all thoughts, of all attachments, and allowing God to meet you there. All our lives, even though we intellectually know the doctrine that the Apostle Paul expressed in his letter to the Ephesians, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. We know that, right? You know that doctrine, right? That we are saved by faith through grace. But we always forget that other part. This is not your doing, it is the gift of God. Right? All our lives... I wager that in many of our churches, we have been taught that we have to work our way into heaven through our prayers, through our study, through our worship, that we've got to work at it, work at it, work at it, work at it. We've got to work our way into heaven and into relationship with God, right? I mean, all churches do a little bit of that, even our church, right? 
So we think we must do things, we must work our way into the presence of God and into God's life-sustaining, transformative peace. And being good and right and true are not bad things. I mean, you know, to do, do, to, to do scripture and to pray and to worship, and these are not bad things. But those disciplines take on greater dimensions when we empty ourselves before God. When we do the emptying so that we can be awakened to the real presence of God in our lives, to the real Holy Spirit coming alongside us, walking with us. So I've started that kind of praying. I've done it three times now. <laughs> and my goal is to keep it up. So I want, to, I want you to think of this. Think of the person or persons in your life who have taught you through their living what Christ looks like. What Easter courage looks like. Think of those people. There may be one or two, maybe a handful. And I want you to think about them because I believe those kinds of people teach us by being in God's presence, by letting the Holy Spirit come alongside, by revealing the risen, resurrected Christ in their lives, you know? So I want you to think about those people because I think to think about those people will help us to do the emptying prayer. We are Easter people. We are people of the empty tomb and the resurrected Christ. So do not be afraid and do not let your hearts be troubled. And I don't know that's a tall order. And it's all, also okay to be afraid some of the time. But we don't have to live there. We don't have to live in that. The peace given through the Holy Spirit allows us to live out the final commandment Jesus gives to his disciples, to love one another as Jesus has loved us. This is the good news of the story. Amen? Amen. Amen.